0: Righto. Well, we're, we're here in the luxurious surrounds of uh, the Little Empire Studios in Auckland's Grey Lynn. We've got a bird chirping in the background. We've got a uh, wonderfully technological setup, thanks to Tim Bat. We've got Liam McGurran from Flix here. Hello, hello. I'm Steve Newell from Flix. We've got Dylan Reeve here. Hi. Dylan Reeve of the movie... Tickled. There we go. And there's someone else from Tickled that's probably on the phone now as well.
1: Yeah, I'm David Ferrier. I'm in Montreal, but I tell you, it's blimmin' good to be talking to you guys.
0: What what an international media interview suck up start that is.
1: <laughs> I've been I've been in Montreal for three days now. We had a showing of Tickled last night um, in a the theatre. It was it was it was packed out, which was good. There were really good the, the questions questions and answers after the film were always pretty interesting, and we talked for about half an hour afterwards. So it was um, it was really fun.
0: It's difficult to talk about the film too much because obviously so much hinges on what actually takes place over the course of you guys making it. But if we jump ahead to the Q&As from the audience, do you detect similarities or differences as you travel with the film?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does vary a little bit from, from place to place. But, I mean, generally, there's always one question where someone says, you know, is this definitely real? There seems mm-hmm. to be this kind of dissonance out there between... You know, people genuinely wondering whether they've sort of been tricked into watching, I don't know, a mockumentary, but maybe something that is, is somewhat made up. Um, you know, people are definitely sceptical about whether the whole thing's real or not. That's a fun question because, you know, we, we can we can happily say that the whole, it's all real and it all happened.
2: Have you seen there's a film playing at Hot Docs that I, I saw, it got a write-up alongside, tickled and something I saw this morning, called Fraud? which is apparently made of found footage. And, and while the footage is real, apparently the story they've crafted with it is, is not so real, which I thought was an interesting take on the on the uh, fake documentary.
1: Yeah, there are a few people. Yeah, fraud kind of gives to the face. But there was a bit of debate about this because some of, some of the Q&As in fraud were pretty uh, aggressive. You know, people basically telling the director, you know, angry at the director for sort of making up this fraudulent thing. But I think if you're in a movie, a documentary called Fraud, you should probably be... Prepared for it. to be potentially a little bit fraudulent.
2: I, I heard a tale that that one of the people at the film commission who I won't name, mainly because I don't know who it was, um, thought seriously thought we were forgotten forgotten silvering them. Like they they honestly couldn't believe that the story we were telling was real.
1: I don't know if it's because I mean partly because I you know I narrate the film and so. I don't know if people, some people probably don't take me very seriously because I just do like the silly stories at the end of different news bulletins. And, you know, I, I've done stories in the past that, that, that were fictitious. Like for April Fool's Day, I did a story about Jenkim where, you know, like the, the youth of Auckland were, you know, getting addicted to like huffing their own feces to get high. And, you know, I've, I've done stories at times that have been entirely fake but but this one definitely definitely isn't it's
2: definitely not i can i can attest to that <laughs> it sounds like i mean right from the very
0: genesis of the story and i think it's safe to to operate under the assumption that anyone listening to this conversation kind of has the gist of what the film's about right so we don't need to recap that but uh it's almost like from its very inception right until where you are where you guys are at right now uh, it still is too good to be true for people that you encounter.
2: Is that fair to say? There's aspects of the film that y- you can't, well, I mean, any one of the the things in the film, you sort of go, yeah, okay, totally. But it's just like, that. they just keep piling on. And it, I think it was like that for us living it as well. And sort of when we look back on it and you think, you know, oh, could we do another documentary? You're like, yeah, totally, of course we could. But we could never have one play out in such a perfectly insane way that this one did. Where one thing after another just keeps piling up and being just full of craziness and i think that's probably what puts people on edge a little bit it's like it's just too perfect the craziness is just too too insane
3: yeah if you were to actually write it from scratch as a fictitious film you'd be just uh, being slammed for being way too yeah. contrived
2: someone would be like no that, i think they just went a bit too far <laughs> yeah that's i think
1: that's what probably what the audiences react to a little bit
0: david is that something you're you're finding as you travel with the film
1: yeah, completely, because I guess, um, you know, the the whole film, you know, it starts in New Zealand, and, you know, from an international audience, they're, they're meeting they're meeting Dylan and I, and, you know, we're a couple of New Zealanders, you know, we've got funny accents, um, we're in this country that a lot of them haven't been to, they just know it's a Lord of the rings and Side of the concords, and so I think they are sort of on the back foot a little bit. But then there is a moment in the film as well where... You know, it, it's this, this, it's a whole thing where like you couldn't script this this stuff. And you know, there's a moment in the film where you know three men are flowing over from New York to New Zealand to tell us that you know there's no story here and there's nothing happening. And and that scene, which sort of takes place in an airport, is so you know it's so sort of surreal but uh, very real at the same time. That I think at that point people kind of Inherently know that this is something that's actually happening. You know, they're not actors. We're not making it up. It's not a joke.
0: That has to rank among the most expensive no comments of all time. so Putting three guys on a plane from the United States <laughs> to Auckland,
2: and not just on a plane from the United States to Auckland, but but first class, and then five or six nights in the Hilton. You know, like it, that was that was a very expensive no comment. And the whole point of that really was to tell us. It was literally to tell us there was no story that we were wasting our time.
1: The reaction that Dylan and I both had was that you know of course there's a story here, yeah. and I mean this all started with me posting on this company's Facebook page, you know this company that was running these these monthly tickling competitions in LA, you know saying can I interview you for a story? And if they'd commented, you know, you know we're a bit busy, you know come back next week, then the whole there wouldn't be a film. But because they reacted in such a uh, you know aggressive way. You know, right from that moment, it was like obviously there's something more going on here than 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 what's on the surface.
2: Yeah, it was, and it was, it was completely that that, that whole comment, that that the whole thing, the whole film can be traced to a single Facebook comment. It was posted on I think May the fourth, two thousand fourteen, so like exact, almost exactly two years ago from while we're sitting here. And if that comment had been, we don't want to do a story about the project. Thanks, you know, David would have put it in his too hard part, basket. None of us would have ever heard of it. But but this this sort of this overwhelming desire that that these people have to kind of convince everyone that I don't know, they're, that they're not what they would seem to be or something that they that's what led them to to make a terrible reply and to make these poorly considered decisions to convince us that there was no story.
0: No one likes a bully, and that, that initial sort of posting is what sets you guys off. And, and, and that, that premise that no one likes bullies, uh, especially dumb, mean bullies, has sort of played out in Auckland in the media landscape this week.
1: Yeah, it's been, yeah, it's, it's been a super surreal week over here for me, because I, I literally jumped on a plane from Toronto to come to Montreal, where I am now, and in the hour that I turned my phone off, you know, I turned my phone back on and, and Mark Weldon, the CEO of MediaWorks, has resigned. And my phone was just like inundated with, with messages because, you, you know, know, for the last, you know, for the last year and a half, uh, MediaWorks has been subjected to, a, you know, to be quite honest, like a bit of a bully. And so to have him step down was this huge moment. And, you know, I think it's you saw this huge outpouring on social media and on Twitter from, from journalists and from non-journalists just rejoicing that this person had left. And I think that kind of shows, you know, people like it when a, essentially people like it when a bully is, is called out and, you know, whether it was Hillary Barry leaving or a million other things that kind of called this guy out. um, you know, it resonates with what, what Dylan and I did with the film because essentially it's a film about bullying. And, you know, it, it's about it's about a company who basically has a lot of money, which gives them a lot of power, which means they, you know, they, they don't use this for for anything good. They basically use it to bully people. And that's that's pretty much, you know, it, it's a huge part of our film. So, yeah, the Weldon thing, I mean, God, I wish I could have been back in New Zealand for it, you know. I mean... I wanted to drink with all those journalists because that, that newsroom has been pretty shit for a while. So having him gone, brilliant.
0: The, uh, the, the other thing I really like about thinking about Mark Weldon this week is uh, of all the people that you have had to convince of the merit of the story that you're following and Tickled, uh, I'd just love to see the look on his face as someone tried to explain to him what was interesting about a couple of guys trying to follow the story.
1: Yeah, I mean, Mark Well, I mean, he's got no idea about journalism at all. I mean, he's, he's just come in there to, I don't know what he came in there to do, but he didn't do a very good job. But, you know, I mean, the surreal thing was, so many of the people at MediaWorks that helped me with tickled along the way, whether it was getting advice from, you know, the current affairs people in 3D or, you know, just advice on handling things from John Campbell, you know, so many people that helped and gave money to the Kickstarter project, you know. They've all gone from tv 3 They've either been pushed out or they've resigned. And so, yeah, I kind of I'd love to know what Weldon would make of all this. I think I don't know. I don't think he's I I don't think he'd compute any of it.
2: <laughs> it's funny actually. You mentioned that when I I think when I sent out one of the Kickstarter emails um, at one point, I got I think three bounced replies from MediaWorks addresses that didn't work anymore. Yeah
1: bit sad yeah that says it all man i mean god i mean sarah hall i mean she was one of our kind of top backing tiered people like she believed in this project she believed in current affairs and i mean she you know right from the get-go i mean there was a thought the head at the beginning that i was going to do this story for 3d you know i'd do a 20 minute investigative story but the great thing about it i mean i, I met with terence who produced that show and the awesome thing about it was he was completely accepting of you know dylan and i taking it further and making you know trying to make a feature out of this thing or at least something that was longer than a 20 minutes current affairs story and that's what's so cool about those guys you know i mean that would have been a, a, a fun story for 3d to have but they were also totally open to us going out independently of gv3 and doing something um totally different which was pretty cool
3: do you think, uh, David, that with all these um journalists that have left um, media works now, do you think that there'd be a decent avenue for some of them to pursue documentary feature filmmaking with an investigative approach?
1: yeah, I mean totally I mean, I think there's this sort of idea and i mean it's difficult because New Zealand's so isolated, and generally in journalism you've got you know you, you've got limited output for these things, and it's certainly not a great time in New Zealand to be making. You can make documentaries for TV, but it's difficult and there's a lot of competition. Whereas it, it feels like, you know, I, I've been at hot Docs for a week now and there's a huge thirst for like good storytelling and documentary filmmaking. And if there's a story there that's strong, there's people there that want to fund things. I mean, there's people, there's people in whether it's Canada or the States who want to put money into like a good story that's hard hitting and, and, you know, and mean something. So whereas there's this huge kind of idea that journalism is under attack and, you know, your your daily news is under attack and your daily current affairs is under attack, it definitely is because, you know, people uh, aren't watching TV like they used to. But that doesn't mean that there's not a place for long-form storytelling in film to see So current affairs isn't dead. It's just shifting where it's being portrayed and where it's being shown.
2: Well, you also have, I mean, the, the the interesting thing is different media have different, or different mediums have different abilities, like, you know, it took us two years to make this documentary, so if it was a, a timely thing or, a, or, or or something like that, it was, you know, film is, is not a good medium for that, whereas television had that immediacy, which was quite good, and and so the loss of, you know, people say, oh, you've still got other the outlets for current affairs and investigative journalism or whatever, which is true. But, you know, different mediums have different strengths. And television, the strength that television has is is the ability to, you know, to... to it's low cost, comparatively speaking, to get to a large audience. And it, it's easy to, you know, to have some immediacy. Which is a shame that th- th- those outlets are, are a little less. And, and it was interesting, I heard Sarah Hall talking now that there's kind of a, a demand for... Um, Investigative journalism in that sixty minutes in the states at the moment is is rating higher than it ever has before, you know. And there's there's a demand for this. It's just a question of making it work, and I think having the ability to tell some very interesting stories like we've managed to do with tickled is fantastic because you know there's plenty of stories that are really fascinating that deserve a good a good look where perhaps a cinematic documentary or theatrical documentary isn't viable but having those platforms for for those kinds of stories to come out is is fantastic and it's a shame that there's fewer of them than there used to be
0: thinking about the the range of of, of documentaries that that are made there's there's some stories that you know, could be made by a filmmaker and shown to an audience at any time like there's no sort of current affairs basis to them mm. there's others where you know the the, the films seem like labors of love, almost, with people following people, following interesting subjects around for a long period of time, and, tr- and sort of hoping they can either cut a story out of it or hope that something interesting happens. With you guys, not to not to imply that you haven't had to work in crafting your film, but did you feel that the way that events unfolded really helped you frame a story around? We it?
2: S- that was we were super lucky with the way things unfolded, and I, like I, I sort of said before, it's it's a little bit of a, a curse in a way because you know i think we'd both really love to be able to make something similar again but the thing is we're never going to find a story that unfolds like this again so anything else um we're going to have to work a lot harder to, to you know to build a compelling story perhaps than we then we were with this one where where the compelling story kind of came to us and all we really needed to do was um, was make sure we got all the bits in order I mean, you know, that's that's oversimplifying. In
1: a normal situation, if, you know, we were going about this in a way you'd maybe thinking about from scratch making a documentary, you'd go, hey, there's been no documentary about tickling being made before. You know, let's make a documentary about tickling. And you'd, you'd you know, you'd jump on the internet and you'd find these people that, you know, are consumed by tickling. And you'd find, like, a tickling fetishist. And you'd follow them around for a year and you'd, like, get into their lives. And, you know, that would be that documentary and that would be what it is. But what we had was that, but we also had this insane kind of story that was unfolding at the same time about tickling, but a very specific story in a very strange context that was happening as well, and that was all being given to us. Just, it just happened organically. So we had that happening at the same time. So it was, yeah, we, we were pretty lucky with this one
2: and we were also able to tell a, 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 an historical story like parts of the story take place over almost 20 years so you know the just the the scope of what of what the story brought to us was was um, incredible and possibly not to be repeated unfortunately for us
1: it's crazy how organic this was because you know it wasn't like I was best friends with Dylan before this happened we knew we, we knew of each other we were followed each other on social media i came across this tickling thing and started blogging about it if it was just me involved, it wouldn't have turned into this documentary. The fact that Dylan came on board with his very specific set of skills to start digging around you know the internet and into what was actually going on that is what made it all come together. you know if Dylan wasn't there, it wouldn't have happened. If I wasn't there, it wouldn't have happened. It happened incredibly organically, and I think it was one of those like, it's chaos theory, right? It's like if, if this one little thing hadn't happened, this story would, would, still wouldn't be told, and it would never be told, probably. So I feel I feel pretty fortunate how it came, you know how it, how it came about.
2: A million monkeys at a million tickling chairs.
3: I was thinking <laughs> more Michael Crichton, but that's okay.
2: Okay,
1: <laughs> same same.
3: Uh, can I pose a hypothetical to both of you? <clears throat> um, now let's say halfway through this journey, you got thrown in jail for ten years <laughs> uh, for whatever reason. Who would you want, who would you have picked to complete this film? <laughs> so who would we pick?
1: Pos- okay, I... <laughs> oh, this is so tricky. Um, I'd probably want to hand it over to... Oh, this is so hard. I mean, probably Jeff Goldblum, to be honest. <laughs>
2: All right, so okay, so we get Jeff to do it. That's fine. I'm down with that. But we also we we had a bunch of people who were helping us behind the scenes, who were doing helping us figure some of these things out, and who knew the story almost as well as we did. So we'd we'd get them in to guide Jeff. That's that's how it would work. We get our tickle friends and Jeff.
1: Yeah, and Jeff, you know, Jeff would narrate it in typical Jeff Goldblum fashion. Yeah, Goldblum in whole thing. You know, and him. I mean, we'd be a blockbuster. You know, if Goldblum funded this film. Good God, imagine that.
0: Don't take this the wrong way, and I definitely don't want to put the mockers on anyone, but with uh, with bullying still ongoing for you guys, there is a possibility that something bad could still happen. And so maybe Goldblum is the biopic reenactment of, of the making of Tickle?
1: I'm dead, and Jeff Goldblum, and Jeff Goldblum is playing you don't playing, have to be dead you don't have to kill gone. you david
0: no but maybe 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 not dead <clears throat> but just just uh just out of action in some form
2: when we were at um, sundance a guy came up to us after one of the screenings and said uh do you you know have you sold the narrative rights to this film and we we're like i've never thought about this until this point point," uh, and so suddenly it was like oh you could kind of make some sort of weird narrative feature out of this and so then uh, and of course the mind starts to drift into who would play who um, I said, or I'd previously said that I thought in this film that I was the uh, the Channing Tatum. No, sorry, I was the Jonah. I was the Jonah Hill to to um to David's Channing Tatum. So I'm not sure if that's the casting decision we'd go with, though.
0: It's probably a, a series, a late night series, it
2: gets a bit racy. Well, we've already got the relationship with HBO, so maybe we should start pushing for it.
1: I mean, you know, tickled tickled is essentially a, a buddy comedy, right? Is that right, John? Is
2: that what <laughs> yeah, we're trying to make? A, a buddy comedy, suspense, thriller, documentary. <laughs> God, it's lucky it's lucky Blockbuster doesn't exist anymore. Because where would they put the video?
0: I think we're probably going to take that and just amend the description of the film on the site on on Flix a little bit with that. Yeah, it could be
2: a way, a new way to frame it.
3: Oh, I'll, I'll put up the profile for Tickle Two already.
2: <laughs> the question is, in two, are we spelling it T W O or T O O? Um,
3: maybe just two wickled,
2: two wickled. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, actually, I like that. I got, I got the brain for this.
0: So, uh, thinking, thinking back a little bit to some of the the bullying that's still been ongoing, is there stuff that you guys are prepared to talk about that's happened since the film wrapped and uh, and sort of where that's gone to since then?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been a, an interesting situation since the film wrapped because, you know, we I, I was in Missouri and a, a woman wandered up to me out, outside on the street and said, oh, you know, are you David Farrier? And I instantly thought in my very arrogant mind, I thought, oh God, it's a fan, you know, come to meet me. And I was like, "Yes, my name's David." And then she just said, "You're served," and handed me um, legal papers. So, you know, there was a, a legal case in uh, Missouri and in, in Utah where Sundance was. So, you know, we, we, you know, everything was vetted by by lawyers. Incredibly confident, in what's what's in the film. So, I think Dylan and I are just kind of pressing on with. With you know presenting the film and getting it out there, and we, we've got a, a lawyer who's looking over all, all that the legal fallout side of things.
2: I mean, needless to say, when we when we finished the film or when we were making the film, I think we knew that um, that you know legal stuff was a risk, and so we've obviously done everything we could to uh, make sure we tried to head that off at the pass. And I think we 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 feel confident and happy.
0: As as anyone that's familiar with uh, either a bad legal drama or what actually happens to the the bully victims and tickled, uh, this sort of those sort of lawsuits are often just about shutting people up and making it uh, financially impossible for them to continue what they're doing. For you guys, are you able to talk about? how that impacts on you do you have support of your distributors in the territories where the lawsuits happen is this something that you've just had to basically treat as a contingency and have some money put aside sort of for this?
2: sort of a bit of both It can't, I can't be too specific but there's a there's a, a general concept in filmmaking or a, a, an insurance a type of insurance called O insurance which is errors and emission insurance and you essentially if you were writing a narrative feature you'd get O insurance and it would insure you against you know someone claiming later on that you stole their idea if you're making a documentary it's a you know it's insurance about about being sued for the film basically so that was a challenge for us because when you make a film about someone who doesn't want a film made about them and when that person is is has demonstrated some perchance um, for for litigation um that makes insurers think twice so that was a challenge that was one of the sort of behind the scenes challenges we faced was was making sure we had that all locked off before because no one will distribute your film or or play it if you don't have that insurance in place, because they don't want to become liable for anything. I suppose, like uh,
0: like a, like a defamation case, um, the onus in a way goes on the litigant to, to demonstrate the falsehoods, right? So if you're yeah, of course. Uh, so, so 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 long as you're convincing your so long as you're convincing your insurers that everything's above board, then they then they are just happy to deal with the the litigation from there. Oh, that- I mean,
2: I guess so. I don't, you know, I don't know how they make those decisions, but like anything, you know, the the point where you get to actually prove your case is quite a way down the track. Um, you get a lot of you can spend a lot of money before you even get there, so I think that's probably you know those those I don't know how they make the consideration or how they make the choices on on what's worth insuring or how to insure it, but um, you know I imagine they weigh up a lot of things, and we had to get you know various legal opinions and things, which we which we did, and, and, you know, which gives us confidence and 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 assurance in what we've made.
1: Yeah, and I mean it's it's a funny thing because you know we're, you know, we've got this, we've got the insurance, you know, we're we're technically, we're all good. We know everything in the film is solid. Uh, we've got representation, we're all fine. But it is that sort of uneasy situation of being served and, you know, it's, a, it's an unusual thing because in New Zealand, you know, people don't, you know, you don't sue people really, whereas in America, that's kind of just the done thing. So it is unusual to kind of be involved in this, in this sort of world at the moment. And, you know, we'll sort of wake up in the morning and there'll be, you know, questions from lawyers about various things. And it's just like an ongoing thing. Like it's just going on in the background and it's annoying and it's happening, but you just deal with it. We've got a great team, great people, and we'll just push through.
2: I think the best, we've got the best people. We've
1: got a huge, a huge team. Goldblum's on our team, by the way. (laughs) He's there. He's involved
0: when you think about uh, documentaries that are about about a sole subject a a sole living subject they're usually fairly flattering and oftentimes you'll talk to the the filmmakers afterwards and they'll sort of mention like oh yeah i saw scott the other day and we caught up and da 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 you've kind of both ended up being embroiled in actually the world that you've uncovered which must be a a slightly odd position to be in
2: certainly the, the subjects of our film um are not very friendly with us um but i think that was you know they've kind of brought that on themselves by their behavior um and and then on the flip side there's this community of tickling fetishists who don't know what to make of us i think because on one hand they're kind of excited that someone's talking about what they're into on the other hand um they don't want to become uh they don't want to become a, a point a focus of ridicule or or they don't want to be associated with negative things that that we uncover in the film so, I mean, both those sort of things we have to we have to balance this this kind of total barrage of, of negativity from, from the people who didn't want to be in the film. Um, and then this sort of um, uncertainty and, and unease from some of the people who are not in the film at all but who are associated with it by sort of by their own interests and things.
1: The encouraging thing, right, like, through all the negativity and everything. We've, we've kind of lucked out because we've got this, you know, the, this group of Kickstarter backers who have backed us and who have been amazing. I mean, in the in the screening in Montreal last night, I was talking with them about how, you know, there's this pressure with with Kickstarter to fulfil rewards and we're still fulfilling rewards and dealing with all of that stuff. And like two people in the audience yelled out that they were Kickstarter backers and that they were just absolutely like happy to be involved in the project. And then. You know, on the other hand, we've got people from the tickling community who are, like, excited that this thing's happening. And, you know, they're providing us, you know, their tickling artwork and everything because mm-hmm. they want us to post on our social media. And, they're, you know, they, they have been aware of this strange story in the tickling world. And, you know, they seem to be excited that this is, you know, that this is happening. And they're happy to be involved. And they've been really supportive.
2: That's I mean that's that's true. Interesting. The Kickstarter thing is an interesting. Um, well, I think we learned a lot about Kickstarter as well. So we the film started on Kickstarter when we thought we were going to make I don't know maybe like a a, a five dollar download film on Vimeo or something. And at that point we offered the world. Um, and it turns out this is advice to anyone who's thinking I think about kickstarting a film is you need to be a little bit cautious about what you offer because what we found was that we'd made these these kind of promises to Kickstarter backers for things that we thought we'd have no problem delivering. You know, great, you can have a download of the film when it's done. Um, and then we find out that those, you know, we kind of should have thought about it, really, that if the film went to this whole other place, we have distributors and and, and theatrical, you know, distribution in, in like, a dozen countries, um, that, that those Kickstarter rewards aren't really compatible with that anymore. And then you've got this awkward balancing act of, of these, these commercial arrangements that you really need, not just, you know, it's not necessarily to make money, but it's because you want everyone to see the film, and to, for everyone to see the film, you need to make these deals. So you've got that, and then on the flip side, you've got these people who were really supportive at the beginning, who now you kind of have to tell them to wait and to hold off, and you know, most of them have been very understanding, especially now that the film's actually come out. A lot of them have seen it, and, it's, and they can see what's happening with it. They've, they've definitely they've chilled out a bit, but... There was a period of time where I think people were, um, or some people anyway, were were a bit upset with how it had panned out. And I think that's definitely something that we would consider very differently if we were doing a film
3: that way. Uh, yeah, and other people are just happy that they got a response from the thing that they kickstarted, i.e. me, i.e. the other two things I've funded that I haven't heard from again.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a risk with Kickstarter. People people have um, there's, there's some very bad outcomes on Kickstarter and we're pleased that we didn't deliver one of those. Um, and obviously, you know, we'll make sure that everyone, everyone who backed us gets, uh, you know, gets their reward in due time. But I think it was, it was a little bit of a learning experience that you have to think perhaps quite far in, in advance and and maybe be quite optimistic about what the future might hold for your film before you think about what you might, um, what you might be willing to offer.
3: Do you feel like through the process of this film, um, your understanding for tickling as um, uh, the sexual appeal to tickling has um, has your understanding of that grown or are you still basically where you were before? Before? I, before I didn't know. Yeah, I mean,
1: I've... I mean, I've... Oh, you go, Dylan, you go first. I'll yeah, go. you're
2: damn right I will. <laughs> um, before, I didn't know there was... Uh, I'd never considered that there was a, a sexual aspect of tickling for anyone. Of course, it makes sense now when you think about it, rule 34 or 36 or whatever it is. Um, But now I'm like, totally cool all right people are into that not even remotely part of it for me no nope, not happening don't like it don't want to be part of it don't want to have anything to do with it that's fine you do what you do i'll do what i do and it's not that and um you know it's it has changed my relationship with tickling slightly i don't tickle my kids
1: as much as i used to it's a bit strange <laughs> I mean, the thing I've found, you know, I've, I've, I'm the same as Dylan. You know, I didn't know that tickling was a fetish before this, but of course of course, it's a fetish. You know, everything's a fetish. The thing I've found a little bit interesting, and there's, there's been two people I've met at screenings throughout this whole thing. You know, most people come up afterwards and say, I felt, you know, very really uncomfortable watching that tickling on a big screen in front of me. You know, that made me feel, you know, I didn't like it. There's been two people that have come up and said, I had no idea, but that like really turned me on. I love it. Yeah, actually, So, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of excited. And like, I've, we've introduced like two people to this part of themselves that they didn't know existed, and now hopefully they can go and have a great time with it.
2: Might be might be three people because someone told me the same thing. Unless it was unless they they doubled up and told told you as well. But they, yeah, I heard the same thing from one person at a screening. Congratulations! Yeah, we've
3: That's really really we've good. You've sexually awaked three people.
2: Amazing.
0: And what a place to wrap up thanks guys it's been great chatting
1: thank you yeah thanks for thanks for having us on uh, really nice talking to you
2: go and eat some fucking poutine eat some poutine <laughs> yeah. or at least the Timmy Hortons I'm
1: gonna eat the poutine <laughs> <laughs> bye <Bye-bye>. bye <laughs> <laughs>